Warning, this podcast must be listened to while drinking coffee or beer. Do not drive and drink coffee or beer. Do not smoke and drink coffee or beer. And do not have sex while driving and smoking and drinking coffee or beer. You're listening to the Coffee or Beer Podcast, brought to you on behalf of Hope. Hello, everybody out there on YouTube. Welcome to another exciting episode of Coffee or Beer uh, with possibly with a man who's got possibly one of the best names in the world. <laughs> Renfrey Deadman. I mean, that, that. Is that, if that's not just one of the coolest names I've ever heard in my life. Thank you. Um, it is actually, your name. Thanks very much. It is actually my name as well. People assume it's a pseudonym, but it is genuinely my name. So, do you want the name story? Hell I've told yeah. it a lot. To me, it's really boring, but I've told it a lot. Um, Renfrey is a Cornish surname, and my mum was Cornish, so she wanted me to have a Cornish name. And my parents bought a book of Cornish names, not realising that the first half was four names and the second half was surnames. Hence, Renfrey being Cornish surname. So, and from the research I've done, I believe I'm the only Renfrey first name because of that silly mistake. So, Brilliant. Yay, yay, parents. Excellent. What about, what about <laughs> Deadman? Like, that's. Dead- I know less about Deadman, but um, obviously, uh, historically, people's jobs were tied up with their surname, I believe. Mm. So I'm guessing there's some kind of mortuary stuff, history-esque stuff going on in my past. Uh, not my past, my, my, my relations past. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I know less about that, but it's pretty goss, isn't it? It's so pretty I'll go. Is. It's pretty damn goss, so I'll go with that. You know, yeah. it's about as goss as I get. <laughs> I need to dye. I need to dye everything black before I can go true goss. But like, my heart gossip. Brilliant. Well, that's great, man. Um, you um, you are a co-host on the podcast Riot Act. That's correct. Yes. And tell everybody who don't know a little bit about Riot Act and how it started. Uh, so Riot Act is a podcast I started with my friend Stephen Hill, and um, we have a weekly show where we go through new releases of alternative music. We had a sort of, um, our modus operandi to begin with to, was to cover alternative, interesting music. That's a very broad term and quite a personal term because people have different interests. Um, but uh we were constantly seeing amazing, amazing, amazing bands who continue to just play sort of small places. And we just wanted a platform to give them a lift up as well as talk as the bigger names as well. So, I mean, just recently we've covered Sugar Horse, um, uh, Elephant Tree. Next week we've got a Gold Key record. And these are all relatively small bands, bands who are at least as good as the big acts, if not better in some cases. So we just mm. wanted to give them a platform really. And we've been doing it since July... 2018 i think great so right. yeah how many, um, yeah, how many yeah. episodes are you up to now we uh, this week we'll be recording episode 91 but that's just of the weekly series and then we have other things we have a writer's review where we can ask people to suggest an album for us to talk about for half an hour or an hour and we talk about that and then there's also our classic album series which we launched uh, oh, six weeks ago, where we go in depth into a whole bunch of classic albums, sort of two, three hours at a time, 
And mm. so far, we've done Radiohead, Marilyn Manson, Guns N' Roses, uh, Pink Floyd, Sepultura, Weezer. There's a whole bunch. A whole bunch. It's all the good stuff. You are mm. a freelance journalist. Um, and you used to write for The Independent? That's right, yeah. I'm sorry? Do you still write for The Independent? No, I left the indie to set up Riot Act and try and focus on that full time, cool. which was a good idea for my sanity, but a less idea for, good idea for my finances. Um, but we're getting there. Um, and uh, yeah, um, uh, I think I just wanted a bit more control, really, okay. at the end of the day um over what what i had i'd had a really good run at the independent and they i mean i mean <laughs> i don't really this doesn't invite myself to to uh people saying nice things about me but i was incredibly lucky that the independent was my first journalist job um and that was through sheer luck and very accidentally falling into it like i had actually no um, interest in becoming a journalist. How did, you, how did you get into it? Well, I was working at the Independent, but doing something separate. I was working in a department called Syndication, which is not interesting. All you need to know is they sell stories to other papers, right? Just yeah. a fairly decent, menial job, good pay, but that was about it. And um, I don't know, I think I just kept running my mouth off in the office about things whenever stuff would come up that I was passionate about, whether it was movies or music or literature or whatever. And um, eventually, the guy who run the blogs, uh, blogs section of the website was no longer there. He said, um, would you be interested in doing any writing for us? And for years, well, months, I said no, because it just sounded, sounded too much like doing essays at school to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. I was just like, I can't be asked. Yeah. Um, and um, then, uh, yeah, eventually he just said, I mean, you know, because you'd be writing for The Independent, you could effectively interview more or less whoever you wanted to within reason. And then that I, that just made me go, oh, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. And I, to begin with, simply used it as a means to introduce myself to musicians that I admired and talk to them and you get to speak to anyone you know any, any like serious fans yeah like, oh yeah 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 you really admired for a long time loads of people i mean i i have a very broad range in music but a lot of the stuff i like is underground stuff so there'd be people like jamie lemon devon townsend i got to sit down with um but i have sat down and spoken with quite big names as well slash was quite an early one that was pretty insane uh, Chino from Deftones, there's Greg Pusciato from Dillinger Escape Plan, um, Brian Moko from Placebo, Ramstein, members of Ramstein sat down with. Are they like uh, kind of normal dudes behind the scenes? Most of them like? are. Yeah. yeah, most of them. The majority are. I, I've been very fortunate to not really have any terrible experiences with review, uh, with them um, uh, interviewing. Hmm. I, I've had. I've had interviews where it's been a bit like getting blood out of a stone, but that's not the same as being rude. That can just be sort of being shy or tired, yeah. um, you know, so you just have to sort of forgive that. But no, I've been fairly lucky, really. Um, sometimes I have avoided, um, I've said no to people because I've I've been a big fan of that band and, and the idea of meeting the front person or whoever's in charge and them being... Uh, a horrible person would scar me. So there are a couple of people I said no to for that reason. Right. 
Which I'm not sure if I said. Do you want to say? No, I'm not sure if I said. You want to? I mean, I no, don't I think I'm ever going to speak. I'm just wondering if it's like, the thing is, it's conjecture, isn't it? I'm not saying these people are deaf. I'm, I'm going to avoid it. It sounds like a bad path to go down. But yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I'm glad it's like, I'm glad it's the exception to the rule most of the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. But then it just became more like a little bit too... Was the pressure on too much, or did you was your work getting? Either, I mean, kind of chopped to pieces and sort of censored by other people in in the company, or how did um, it work? It did. There was a bit of that to begin with. I think I was just so happy to be writing and having a platform. It was so strange to put something up online and basically receive immediate feedback. I was never used to that. And that was an odd thing to have to try and get used to in positive and negative ways, sometimes in incredibly positive ways. People write you the sweetest things sometimes. But, you know, obviously sometimes in negative ways as well. (laughs) And like learning not to get bogged down in all that stuff. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Someone just agrees with you in Greece doesn't matter no and you're not going to please everyone everyone i mean just impossible i think if you try to uh, to please everyone a it's a fool's errand and b you'll probably end up pleasing no one i mean that's a bit of a cliche that's that is a cliche for for a reason yeah Yeah, for a reason exactly um so i mean we certainly with riot we certainly i don't think we've gone out of our way to annoy people but we we definitely we've always maintained from the beginning that we're not for everyone to the point where sometimes people say things to us and we'll be like you might be listening to the wrong show to be honest with you mate (laughs) which sounds really rude but you know sometimes it is just like i don't think we're right for you and that's fine that's fine you know it's yeah i think it's totally the right the right thing to do and um to basically take a stand on on, a, on an opinion, a nice firm stance, and you know, not try and toe the toe the line in the middle. Because, and that's one of the great things about the internet, isn't it? Is that we can put content out on YouTube and create a podcast, and no one's going to censor us, you know, for the time being at least. And we can just be very honest and just say things exactly how we how we see it and how we and how we say say it exactly how we think it should be said, and not worry about anyone trying to censor it or change it or anything like that. And then. And that's great. It's like a. It, it's definitely something that we have, uh, we see as an advantage. Um, both me and Steve uh, do freelance bits and pieces for various different publications. And um, without going into details, there isn't the freedom there that we have with um, our own thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to go into this without sounding like old man wags his fist at crowd, uh, cloud but um i do feel like i think if you look back at music uh media uh journalism over the past sort of 15 20 years i've got like old copies of kerrang and q and metal hammer and i'll open those up and they weren't afraid to criticize as much as i feel like people are these days mm. um I think there's lots of reasons for that, which are immensely complicated and would probably take half an hour or so to explain. So I, I'll, I, I won't. But um, what was the think, time frame on this? What are we talking about here? Like when those publications you're talking about, how long ago were they? I think um, I, I think I've got I've got Kerrangs around here from like 1999, and I'll open that up, and they're not afraid to 
if they're really not afraid to say what they think. Um, me and uh, Steve were recording a special on um, Weezer the other day, and he mentioned a, an interview with the frontman Rivers uh, in Kerrang! from, I believe, 2002, 2003, something like that. And apparently Rivers have been extraordinarily rude to the journalists, to everyone around him. The band were complaining about him, et cetera, et cetera. He wouldn't look at the journalist in the eye and all this kind of thing. And all of this was printed in the article. You know, right. <laughs> They were very, very honest about it. And <laughs> I just don't think you could do that anymore. And sometimes that worries me in terms of are people getting away with things that they shouldn't be? And when, when we've... Um, you know, when 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 so many people have been caught recently for doing things that they shouldn't be, that feels like a bit of a backwards way to go. Um, and also, just as a, as a critic, your honesty is your um, integrity and it's your mm -hmm. weapon in a way. I mean, sure. weapon sounds a bit antagonistic, but no, that's, I think that's pretty good. It's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 very important to have um, honesty. I think in what we do. Um, I, otherwise, otherwise, what does what does your opinion count for? Really, yeah. if everything's amazing, why should I listen to your opinion, sir? Yeah. Absolutely. And <clears throat> another point on that, which is actually quite interesting, is that when you're reading that article as the reader, and you're hearing about this person's encounter with with a frontman or a guitarist from the band or whoever from the band that you really like and you find out that they were rude or they were so weird or they were awkward or they made it difficult for the other person and they were doing strange things like not looking them in the eye all these kind of stuff it suddenly you suddenly go right well does that change my opinion of the band and like does it add to the almost like the rock star mystique of a band back then like who are these people really and do are they as strange as they come across in their videos and all this other kind of stuff. It kind of feeds almost into the, well, it feeds into the overall impression, almost marketing of a band as well. Mm. So, it, and that can probably work both ways because it will, I don't know, sometimes bad press travels quicker, doesn't it? And, you know, rumors start going around about people and it's like, well, then they get more attention and it kind of just feeds on itself. Um, but just by being honest about what the encounter was really like, that's mm. just interesting because the truth is interesting. Oh, it's fascinating. Everyone's coming off as like vanilla and with like mm. no personality. It's just it's just mm. like watered down sort of nothingness, isn't it? It's not really entertaining. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, some bands aren't just aren't particularly interesting, unfortunately. Like, yeah. and sometimes it's bands who write amazing music. They're just they're just you know like four geeky people or whatever you know like yeah. you know. Um, but there are often interesting stories to tell, and um, I mean, interestingly. Um, reading that article years and years ago affected sort of my career a little bit because I was given the opportunity to interview Rivers and it was several years later, uh, about a decade later at least. But I did, the first thing I thought about was I thought back to that interview, I was like, oh, what about if he's a pain in the ass with me? You know, that's yeah. going to, I'm not going to be able to listen to Weezer again and I love Weezer. Um, and I decided to take it anyway and, um, you know, he was, he was, incredibly sweet and it was absolutely fine and and but he's written songs about it since how he's been a bit of a pain in the ass to the press and things like that um so he so he acknowledges it you know and this isn't a massive secret that i'm spilling here or anything he he, yeah. he acknowledges that um 
Uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting one, but it makes for a more colourful, interesting read and provided you're actually just reporting actually what happened and not making stuff up, of course. Uh, I don't really see the issue. Here's, a, here's something that's just coming to my head. Like, when a band writes a song, that's their creation. It's their passion project. It's what they've created themselves and it's what they've done. And they hand it over to the world after that. And critics, journalists, people, they'll come along and they will write a review about the song and tell everyone else how they feel about it. Do you think it's like, do you think bands have a right to be sort of precious over their material once it's out, once it's shared to the rest of the world? Like if they are, they've chosen to be a band that wants to share their music with, with the world and get as much exposure for their music as they can. Therefore, they're going to want to, they're going to have to take the good and the bad that comes with that. Do you think they have a right to be kind of as precious over their music once it's out in the public domain? Um, well, to ever so slightly alter your question there, I think they... Um, I'm not, uh, they, I think they should be precious about something that is so personal to them. I totally understand that. And I am often aware when criticising someone else's work that there's a person who created this, who this came from, who more than likely it's incredibly personal to and who it, you might say something off the cuff which may not appear to be a particularly stabbing criticism, but it might really, really get them right there um, mm. for whatever reason. Um, that's particularly difficult to rein in when you do it via a podcast medium for two reasons i think a the filter on what you say over the filter over what you write is so much weaker right because the way me and steve like to do podcasts and i think personally the way that almost all of the successful podcasts do it um is to make it as conversational and as conversational in style as possible. Yeah. Um, certainly having done 90 episodes now, plus extras and bonuses, we've got to the point where we are comfortable enough that once we press record, we, it really does just feel like we're having a conversation. Yeah. Um, to the point that when I way. come to... Exactly. Uh, well, thank you. And, and when it comes to doing the edit, I'm like, oh my goodness, we can't put that out because that is far too conversational or rude or whatever um the problem with that is you're not always thinking that the conversation you're having is going out to thousands of people mm. you're just imagining you're having it with your mate yeah um so uh sometimes you can put things in a way that might seem really cruel and then when you discover that someone in a band hears that and gets hurt by it it can it's it's crap like it, mm. it that is not a call cool, it sucks always it doesn't matter who it is even if it's a musician i absolutely hate you don't at the end of the day all we're doing is uh, giving our opinion on music we're not here yeah. to hurt anyone and i can understand i can understand why that does i do get it do you uh, do you or stephen play in a band 
Um, I used to play music and I've had reviews and I've had good reviews and bad reviews. So I do know what it's like. Steve used to uh, play in a hardcore band. He used to do vocals in a hardcore band called Stegel. And they had, I'm sure they've had reviews and stuff like that. Um, so we have a, I mean, I don't want to make out that we know exactly what it's like because neither mine nor Steve's musical career lasted that long, really. Right. Yeah. Um, like we did the odd tour around the UK in toilet venues, which maybe lasted a week, max yeah. kind of thing, you know. Um, so, so to say I can fully emphasize would be OTT, but I have an idea. I have an idea. We, well, funnily enough, we also both trained as actors. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you meet at acting school then? No, 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 no. We met. We met. Like we didn't. Didn't have anything to do with each other uh, at drama school. But we we just so happened to have both trained as um, as actors, and I think that gives you more of an awareness of it as well. Because drama school, I mean, it might sound like you just sort of fuddy-duddying around and pretending to be a tree for three years but really you're getting like you're getting totally crucified and criticized and torn apart and then the aim is that they're meant to put you back together although i think my drama school kind of forgot well can i just interject here because this is a really this is a really funny point because i went to drama school for three years (laughs) and you went to oxford school of drama oxford school of drama yeah which one did you go to east 15 Oh, is, uh, Steve went to East 15. And Steve went to East 15, did he? Yes, I'm sure that's right. Yes, I think he went to East 15. Uh, oh, you'd have to double check that with him, but I, I'm 99% sure that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How funny what is that? What was your course? Was it just acting? Yeah, the BA not, acting. Not, yeah. not, ju- not just acting. <laughs> no, it was just <laughs> straight oh, up just acting. acting. <laughs> yeah, and uh, they, did that. they did the same thing there. You know, it was all about, um, yeah, breaking you down, building you back up, and whatever that means. And uh, yeah, it was... Like you say, kind of, kind of brutal sometimes. To uh, yeah, I believe. I mean, apologies to everyone watching because this is not interesting to you, but for you, um, I believe they have very similar um, ways that they operate. Oxford and East Fifteen. It sounds like their sort of syllabus is what mm. I'm trying to say is quite similar. Yeah. Lots of it's all Stanislavski, all that rubbish in it. They trap you <laughs> in the middle of nowhere and let, yeah, it's, yeah. Well, it's, very much. Oh man, yeah. I can one tell hell of a bubble. Um, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. first of all, let's cheers because we haven't done that yet. Like, forgive me. So, oh my cheers, goodness, you're, right. you're on the coffee, cheers. I'm on the beer. Clink. Mm, very nice. Mm. Mm. So, a bit of fun. Something that comes up a lot with, um, in, yeah, this comes up a lot with friends and stuff like that is the definitions of music genres. And I'm really interested to hear your take on these because okay. uh, it varies greatly so let's see let's see how you get on like i'm going to list a bunch of genres we're going to talk through them bit by bit and i'd like you to try and tell me what the um difference is between what makes them different like what's the difference between this one to this one and that's okay what we do there all right let's start with something really easy <laughs> or sounds easy i don't know what's the difference between rock and hard rock it's tricky um intent right can we can we other back right if there's any bands that we can think of off our heads so i would so for example i would say bon jovi are rock and guns and roses are hard rock 
Okay. There's that anger and an aggression there in hard rock that sometimes is in rock, but not always. And even if it is in rock, it's usually sort of collied, foddled into a way that it can be played on the radio without scaring too many people. I'm thinking off the top of my head. No, that makes makes sense. (laughs) Where does does, someone like Elton John fit into this? I... Is he is Elton John? Or is he? No, I don't. Uh, some of the seventies stuff, I I get why people would call it rock, and there's a there's a there's a, a line to be made between glam rock and Elton John, but I don't know if that's musically. I feel like that's more. I mean, the people screaming at the screen now of amazing examples where he's been like the king of glam pop or the queen of glam pop. I suppose would be more accurate, but. Um, uh, I think he, uh, I think he influenced Bram Pop in more of a um, design. What am I trying to say? Costume sense mm. rather than musically. Um, is Elton John? I mean, I guess I just see Elton John. I would probably just see Elton John as pop, to be honest. Yeah. But pop music has changed astronomically since the 70s certainly because if we go back to what pop music means it just means popular music yeah um so i mean surely elton john fits that description i feel yeah i feel i feel like i would call out john pop but then i'm aware i mean artists like that are usually so broad that it's sort of silly to put them in one genre anyway even though you kind of have to yeah but, yeah there's too much crossover with someone like that yeah exactly um, yeah so then we're going to jump from hard rock to metal. Mm-hmm. So Guns N' Roses um, are hard rock because of the intent. Slightly, slightly more grittier guitar, more riffy bass, and like that attitude, that kind of aggression and anger coming through the vocals. But it's mm-hmm. still, it's still, he's still singing. There's no screaming. Where is what's the difference now between metal? There's usually a whole bunch of techniques that are used in metal that sort of make it metal. Um, so faster paced picking on the guitars, a la most thrash bands, Metallica and so on and so forth. Um, if you're going more into the sort of extreme element, although I don't know, are we going into the extreme elements yet? I don't think we are. So um, We'll come on to that. We'll come on to that. Okay. So, uh, I mean, it, to be honest, just in terms of sound settings, the distortion is probably going to be whacked up a little bit on metal, on most metal compared to, to rock. I suppose this is where screaming is introduced, or is that the next stage? Well, metal to heavy metal. metal. Heavy to heavy metal. Uh, I mean, yeah. I think there's a bit of screaming at this point. Um, I mean, if you look like a look at uh, bands like machine head do a bit of screaming and a bit of singing and i'd say they're a metal band um but, uh, but machine heads that's a great example actually so machine head trivium heavy metal metallica metal. yeah i've never i've never made a massive distinction between heavy metal and metal i have to say although when people say heavy metal and i'm not saying this is correct per se but um I'm just saying this is the way that I perceive it. When people say heavy metal, I usually think of the sort of 80s stuff like um, Saxon, Iron Maiden, uh, Dio to a degree. And to me, it just feels like rather than metal being an additional subgenre, it is just after a while, people got fed up of saying heavy metal, so they just said metal. That's the way that I see it. 
Now that is there's nothing I can back that up with at all. No, I get that's just the way I see it. Yeah. I, I that makes it easier in my head. Just lump those two together. And then you can kind of tag on new metal there. Yeah, <laughs> you can, yeah. And just say, well, that's it's a reinvention of all of, of all the original sort of metal bands and some of the more m- modern metal bands, but with rap. <laughs> it's like throwing rap. But with, but with bad white guys rapping, yeah, or white guys badly rapping, and yeah. and uh, DJ usually. Yeah. Um, but you know, not just in new metal. There's plenty of new metal that I like. Um, but uh, yes, um, but that was, I would call that like a subgenre of metal then. Because you have to go off on all these different trees. Have you seen? Have you ever seen Metal: The Headbangers Journey or um, the I Metal have. Evolution documentary? This is basically that documentary. Yeah, he does go well, through that them, doesn't he? Yeah, that documentary is just basically going through all the subgenres and arguing why he thinks this is this and this is that and et cetera, et cetera. And um, I don't think he gets it totally one hundred percent on, but but for the most part, I'm like, if you really need to know all this stuff watch that because <laughs> that yeah. gives you a pretty good idea it does, it, uh, it, does yeah. it well so now we're into hardcore post-hardcore okay um so hardcore for me is a scene that was built up through punk so some would argue mm. that um hardcore doesn't have anything to do with metal but that until you mix the elements of metal and hardcore to create hard uh, metalcore already it's hurting my head. Um, so, but but I would generally agree with the concept that hardcore is actually a subgenre born from punk rather than metal, uh, and that is down to speed, generally simplicity. Although that is a massive generalisation because there's plenty of hardcore acts out there who are not simple at all. Mm. Um, maybe and DIY. Lots of screaming going on in the hardcore. In hardcore, absolutely. Um, punk, a fair amount. Yeah, fair amount in punk. But um, most hardcore bands will will predominantly have screamers as front people, I would say. Um, yes. But then it gets all complicated with metalcore and all that kind of stuff. I don't know yeah. where to go there. Mm. Oh, so okay. what's, what's post-hardcore before we get on to deathcore oh, and metalcore? Sorry, yeah. So post-hardcore, I think... Um, came out of maybe bands like Rights to Spring and stuff like that when hardcore bands were trying to have that approach and that um, heavy-hitting manner, but at the same time introducing more melodic elements into it. Post-hardcore is a, a weird one, though, because really people just call... people People just call bands post-hardcore when they are a hardcore band who have melodic, more melodic elements. But that makes for an incredibly broad genre because, you know, melody isn't a genre. <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's melody. God, I've never been asked to explain melody before. <laughs> it's, it's the fabric like, interwoven into all songs. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless it's, you know, like Gigi Allen or something. Um, but, you know, uh, so... So that makes post-hardcore, I mean, when I think of like Glassjaw, one of my favourite post-hardcore bands, uh, then you've got, my God, my mind's gone completely blank, like Let Live. Mm. Um, I used to think of Poison the Well as a post-hardcore band, but people shout at me for saying that and say they're metalcore, but, you know, tomato, tomato. Um, yeah. Um, 
as heroes, I guess. But I mean, hundred reasons you could argue a post-hardcore band, and they're pretty darn melodic yeah. when it comes to this sort of thing. So you can be um, a little bit more melodic than you can. You're tending to be more melodic than screaming in the, in the post-hardcore genre. But for the most part, that's where we see all of the bands with you know the front screamer and then the singing guitarist or singing bassist or whatever. That's kind of yeah, quite quite a lot of those bands. I mean, I mean, post hardcore also crosses over into emo, which is a whole other thing because there isn't a whole lot of separation between emo and post hardcore, particularly the earlier emo bands from the nineties, the Sunny Day Real Estates and Sayerson. uh Braid, Sayerson, yeah, 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 stuff like that. Um, so there's i mean there's some of this stuff is so like semantics based you know um it is quite amusing when you see people get really upset when um uh you say a band's in a genre that they think it's a different subgenre it's just like it just doesn't really matter does it <laughs> uh, but it's fun to talk about so yeah <laughs> I, I, the point i'm really driving <laughs> over this is that this that is kind of the point is that we don't need to keep breaking things down into subgenres and subgenres and subgenres. I mean, it gets a bit annoying when you're trying to define um, a band's sound if you're you know, reviewing it, I imagine, and you know, kind of writing about them in any kind of way, and then how you define the sound, and then if you're like inputting that data into like you know Spotify or something like that, you're like, well, what category are we, and what do we choose all of a sudden, and is that going to affect what we choose now? Is that going to affect you know who who hears us in the future and those kind of things and these kind of thoughts and i just think sometimes genres keep popping up and it feels like they've just been made up they've just completely been made up by something you're just like is this really necessary um i think i think bands are really struggling with that because um i mean in order to get on uh to playlists on spotify which is a huge way to get your band out there you do need to give some pretty defined parameters as what your band sounds like yeah. and ironically in certainly my opinion and steve's opinion the best bands are the ones which are really difficult to describe um and you know we've i'm sorry because they're different because they're unique exactly because you don't have as many you don't have as many reference points or you either don't have as many reference points or you have to use so many more reference points in order to describe the bands you're trying to describe Mm. um i mean we were reviewing elephant tree last week i think we said they just sounded like a cross between Caius, The Cure, Deftones and Cult of Luna and none of those bands have anything to do with each other really mm. but but they do sound like I mean, oh and Pink Floyd they, and they do sound like all those bands combined but we're also aware that if you just chuck out a list of bands that seem to have no um, connection whatsoever that's just going to confuse people even more <laughs> yeah. yeah, people so, have a little bit of they need to know what they're going into sometimes in yeah, order to in, yeah. enjoy it. It's like you're very yeah. rarely going to go and see a film, pay, you know, have much money to go watch a movie in the cinema if you don't have a vague idea of what the movie's about and the genre because you, you don't want to waste your money, basically. So people feel like it's the same way about music. But do you yeah. think part of the problem is that we just have too much music? There's like, there's way too many bands, way too many talented bands that like it's impossible to almost stand out anymore. <sighs> I think undoubtedly, it depends on your definition of too much. I mean, what, what, 
I suppose the damage of having too much music is there's only so much an industry can support it. So I suppose the more bands who are out there, the less chances everyone has to play live and so on and so forth in theory. And undoubtedly, uh, this doesn't just go for music, this goes for everything. We have this insane option paralysis these days in terms of what do we watch. I mean, it's the classic example of sitting, someone sitting down at Netflix and taking an hour and a half, two hours to decide what to watch because there's just so much stuff to yeah. cycle through, um, which is ridiculous. You could have watched a film in that time. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And the amount of times that happens to me, you wouldn't believe yeah. it. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like sometimes we do just need to be told (laughs) listen to this listen to that just suppose is where we come in um and i suppose the nice thing about having it on a podcast medium is you can feel like you get to know myself and steve far more personally than you ever would from reading an article even if you're following the byline the person Mm. who's writing them you'll get an idea roughly of what they like and dislike but you won't it's very unlikely you'll find out anything about them personally yeah, yeah. and people like that um, really buy into personality and that's why podcasts are so popular it, it, it's it's honestly nothing that me or Steve we never consciously thought of it like that until it happened mm. um, but I think we realized that there were a whole bunch of sort of in-jokes that were just happening quite naturally on the show, which then people would just, if we, if I was at a gig, someone would shout something at me to do with the show. And it's like, oh my God, that, that conversation I had five days ago is real and 5,000 people listened to it this week. Yeah, You know, it's crazy. really, it's really odd. Um, it's particularly odd when people come up to you and they're a few months behind on the podcast. And so they start sort of trying to initiate a conversation with you, which you last had about five months ago. Yeah. And then really. I'm just, I'm just like, I don't even remember what I thought of that album. What did I think of it? You know, <laughs> that's it. Well, you listen um, to so much as well. How do you keep track of it all? Yeah. 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 I mean, we're, we're easily listening to, well, we review four or five things a week, but we're probably listening to twice as much as that. So how do you, how do you do it? How do you absorb the music? Do you, What's your method of listening to, to music? Do you have a particular way of doing it? Or is it just played in the background? Or I like to, I like to initially play music in the background so that I don't have to concentrate on it, but I know sort of what I'm getting myself in for. Mm-hmm. Like roughly what is going to be the rhythm of the album, what is going to be the style of the album sonically, and just so that I can get an overview in my head before actually going in on it in detail. So I might, depending on the complexity of the record, I might put it on in the background anywhere between once and three times, depending on whether it's, you know, um, something really simple or something incredibly technical and complicated. And then the process of sitting down in front of it starts and I just open a Word document and start making notes as and when I'm listening to the Mm. album. I'll try to do that at at least twice. So I'll try to listen to each album at least twice, sat in front of the computer with my notes open so that I can make notes. Um, And from there, I mean, that'll be the minimum to review an album. And then from there, it's just more listening and refining and tuning you can it's weird you can 
especially when albums that you love come out, you can get into a bit of a rabbit hole where you go, oh, I've got three releases to listen to, but I really, really love this one. And then you end up listening to release A 10 times more than you listen to release B and C. And it's like, oh, shit, we're recording tomorrow. <laughs> I need yeah. to really listen to B and C a lot more. Um, and that, I'm big guilty of that at the moment, actually, with something. Um, but um, yeah, it's a sort I, of... Sorry, um, to, sorry. I, that's one of the things sorry. I wanted to ask you is... Can you tell me something that you absolutely love and it's something you absolutely hate in terms of in terms of the music that you listen to? Is there a particular kind of style or particular yeah, style, I guess you can't say the band, but like what do you like and what do you really hate? In what sense? In the genre sense or in can that can I yeah, like, what's your favorite thing to listen like? to? Like, yeah. Um, I mean, a, a, bit, a bit of a joke on the show is that I absolutely love um, long, wanky instrumental music and will just listen to that and nothing else, um, which there's a half-truth to. Um, for some reason, stuff stuff like Mogwai, Godspeed, Black Emperor, yada, 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 that kind of thing is just kind of my go-to for chill out, just, just, just something to put on and just to soothe me. You know, mm. it just soothes my soul, that music. Don't know why, it just does. And I just love it. And I'm a bit of a mark for it. And whenever we get those records in, I have to sort of um, try not to overreact <laughs> with how, how much I love them. So that tends to be my what I go to these days. Growing up, I was a massive metalhead and um, hard rock and so on and so forth. I obviously still listen to that stuff and love it. I definitely feel like I'm that a bit of a cliche in terms of as I'm growing up, I'm getting into more ambient things. Mm. There are very, very, very ambient things that I would have never even dreamed of listening to 10 years ago. Um, a good example would be Stars of the Lid. Are you aware of Stars of the Lid? Never. They are, they're a duo and they're just, they're just a very, very, very ambient sort of, one note every two minutes um lovely duo it's like imagine the quietest bits and cigarettes but it's that for two hours wow. and you know to the untrained ear nothing's really happening but it's just lovely <laughs> i just really like listening to it you could fall asleep to it you know if you wanted to it's that ambient it's, it's, it's that really ambient. really chill very cool. really really ambient yeah but i loved i like i discovered them like six years ago and I don't really have one device that I play things on, so I can never really look over my play stats. But if I did, I bet they would be top 10. I listen mm. to them all the time. Mm. Um, my my appetite for heavy stuff is still there. But I feel like, I mean, this is a topic that's come up on the show quite a lot. Um, metal just seems to be a genre which repeats itself more often than than other genres. Not always, but, you know, it's 50 years old now. Um, it's difficult to say truthfully that the most um, uh, ahead of its time music is coming out of the metal genre. I think if you ask any teenager, <laughs> I don't think they'd say it'd be coming from metal. There's a couple of exceptions. We've gone on and on about the new Code Orange record this year, for example. But you know, for the most part, it's it's more or less doing the, the doing a variation on a on a popular theme over and over again. And I find myself becoming way sort of harder on metal bands to the point of if you want to get my attention now, you've got to do something really special. 
otherwise I'm not interested or really different or just something which I've not heard done 50 times before. Like Empath. Um, like Empath. Wow, Empath is a wonderful example. Yeah, I've been mm. um, absolutely adoring Devin's podcast. This is Devin Townsend, for those who don't know what we're talking about. Um, Devin Townsend has just released a, well, a podcast series where he every uh, oh he spends about about two hours going into an album individually and it's fascinating he's such a warm intelligent kind dude i've been very lucky to interview devin three times and he's always been wonderful um i've caught him twice when he's been jet lagged and shattered but still always the sweetest man in the room and the one time when I caught him, when he did have energy, it was wonderful. I felt like we could have talked all night. Um, and um, yeah, he's just, he's a fantastic guide and a fantastic host. And he very occasionally throws in fart jokes as well. So Brilliant. yeah, that's that's just wonderful. But yeah, Empath is an absolute masterpiece. Are you a big Devon fan? I have to be honest, I'm not. And I am um, okay. one of the earliest episodes of Coffee or Beer. I was in, I was um, speaking with uh, the Metal Triss. And um, mm. that was right around when it came out, and he was saying how much he loved it, and it was That's just great. something else altogether. So, um, but yeah, I went on and listened to it, and uh, I mean, it really is different. <laughs> Give it that. It's yeah. like not all of it's my cup of tea, but like I can really appreciate how unique it is in, in today's today's world. So, yeah, incredible, and I really enjoyed watching the documentary that he made about it too, where yeah, he went into yeah. the process and everything else, and that was I love things like that. So, yeah, that yeah. was very fascinating. Um, yeah. Very interesting. Well, um, just to kind of wrap things up, I was very curious to know about your thoughts on the industry going forward and what you like about the industry, what you would like to see done differently or things you'd like to see change a little bit or a lot mm. as, we, as we go forward into the rest of whatever the next, you know, world is going to happen. Whatever's going to happen. Whatever's like seems- the world point 2.0, whatever. I don't. I don't mean. I, I. I don't mean this as a criticism of your question. But speaking as we are on twenty seventh of April, twenty twenty, with everything that's going on, it seems like a crazy question to answer because I'm kind of like, we need to just focus on surviving at the moment. It's a bit um, like, but I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, who has the answer? I certainly don't. But I mean, I maybe you, putting you that aside. Maybe putting that aside. Like maybe that's a better way to answer it. I don't know. Um, I would like. Do you know what I would? It relates to that. I would like to see the industry not take as long to catch up with everyone else. And by that, I mean, let's take um, piracy as an example. Okay. Um, back in the early two thousands, when piracy started to actually become a problem, it felt like the music industry sort of ignored it in hopes it would go away. And everyone else is sort of looking around and going, no, I think this is going to be a problem. And I think maybe you should do something about it. And, you know, CDs remained to be $13.99 or whatever, extravagantly overpriced. And they, I think they just wanted to ignore it and pretend it would go away. And I feel like whenever disaster strikes in the music industry, I feel like it takes a very long time to catch up and go, oh, maybe we should do this differently maybe we should adapt mm. you know adapt or die is yep. what they say and it's uh, the music industry has many many lives like as far as i can see because they really do take a long time to adapt 
So I know that's really general, no. but I would like to I would like to see the music industry more capable of adapting anyway. And in theory, that was really hard to do when it was sort of six massive major labels who were all conglomerates with tens of thousands of employees. But in theory, it should be easier and easier to do because it's more splintered, not splintered groups, but it's smaller groups of, um, it tends to be hundreds or thousands of labels propping up the music industry now rather than, you know, just, just half a dozen or so mm. and then a few indies. Um, so in, in theory, it should be easier to rally the troops in a sense. And there are there are examples of that sort of thing happening I remember Blood and Biscuit was a conglomerate of a whole bunch of indie labels who would just sort of work together to make things happen. And I always remember that being a really cool idea and stuff like that. There's definitely pockets of it happening. When you get to a lower level, you see um, uh, promoters helping each other out rather than being competition. It's I always love it when I go to a small show in London and I see um, a promoter uh, has given permission for another promoter to come in and promote their show and then they'll do a swap at the next show and stuff like that and there's no kind of like oh you're you're my rival you can't come in mm-hmm. people are really friendly like the smaller the scene the friendlier they are i tend to find um so I think that's a great yeah, example I think, I think that's a really good point and it's a it's a perfect example of some of the good things about the industry the way that people can support each other like that um, and look out for each other's interests to a degree because it helps them back in return. And those are really great. And I think, like you said about adapting or dying, I mean, uh, on um, on that point with today and the world being the way it is right now, you know, a lot of bands that are still able to, I, I don't know, um, work together like remotely or whatever and continue to write, they're the ones that are going to survive because they can, they can still, they're still working, basically. They're still putting their time and their effort and their energy into their music. And they're also trying to find um, ways and just still t- staying in touch with their fans and speaking to them, live streaming and whatever they're choosing to do and all of these. And then on an even bigger level, like just when you see musicians, bands all across the world that are doing live broadcasts of their songs and their and, music and sharing that with, with everyone too to raise money for, for causes like that, like, that kind of stuff's brilliant. Uh, that kind of stuff is really, really good. Um, it's I really love I've been seeing um, venues putting compilations together and stuff like that and just asking bands who play those venues regularly, could you just contribute one song and we're going to put it out as a charity album on Bandcamp, you know, 20 tracks, £10, 100 proceeds go towards the venue. And that kind of thinking is the sort of DIY thinking that I love, you know. You get to support, you get something in return and no one's kind of out of pocket um as a result of that transaction you know um and yeah um there's loads of it in the diy scene um i wish there was more of it in when it when money gets involved unfortunately when money gets involved there tends to be less and less of that sort of thing but but you know um i think there's some hope for that happening but um i don't know feels like i'm a bit out, out of my remit talking about stuff like that but yeah you're happy with them. Um, well, congratulations on the podcast, first of all, and all, all the work you've been doing. I'm glad it's going so well. Uh, and Thank you're still you. able to make it. You're still able to, you and Steve are still able to work together at this time and keep it going. So that's, that's also brilliant news. Yeah. 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 It's really, it's really taken off recently. Like since the lockdown, we've been, 
uh, doing ridiculous numbers. People want this kind of thing at the moment, obviously, because they're, they're bored out of their yeah. minds. So, yeah, there's nothing better than listening to a podcast in the garden. Are there any albums coming up that you know about that you're looking forward to hearing and you can't wait to sort of wrap your ears around it? Uh, yes. Um, there, uh, yes. Um, let's just pretend I haven't heard any of these albums, shall we? Uh, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, there's a new album by a band called Gold Key, which I have a very good feeling is absolutely phenomenal and the best thing they've ever done. Um, so, well, God. the Hirsch Effect album is a ge- band from Germany, sort of tech metal type thing. Tech metal isn't normally my cup of tea, but these guys do it in a really, really cool way that's coming out on May the 8th. Um, I haven't heard it yet, but and I know that I'll probably just be bitter. even though it will probably be terrible. But do you know about this? It's called Van Weezer, and it's their interpretation of Van Halen. Weezer's interpretation of Van Halen? Effectively, yeah. I just want to hear that. It just sounds cool. Like, it sounds really, really cool. Um, uh, Steve recommended this, but I know nothing about this, but Steve has been going on about this band, 156 Silence, uh, who are releasing their debut on June 5th. Apparently, they're brilliant. If Steve likes it, it's probably really heavy. Um, Phoebe Bridges is about to release her second record. I don't know if you're a Phoebe Bridges fan, but her first album, Stranger in the Alps, is wonderful. Uh, there's this wonderful band called Foxjaw who are releasing their debut album in June. That's a, yeah. So that's going a, on too, I'm probably going on too much now. No, yeah, no, no. I was going to say I can, I can vouch for Foxjaw. In fact, I can actually vouch for 156 Silence because I was like that close okay. to working with them about six months ago. Um, are you kidding? I've not. So, what are they then? What do they do? Um, they yeah, it's heavy. <laughs> it's heavy. Okay, it's yeah, heavy. yeah, yeah. I thought if Steve likes it, it's usually heavy. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm I I think he sent me that. I need to I need to listen to that. I've not actually heard it yet. But if he likes it, it's probably good. So yeah, um, yeah, loads loads to come. I mean, a few things have been pushed back, of course, because of circumstances. But um, there's still loads of loads of loads of great stuff coming out, you know. And people, I think at the moment, people definitely want music, don't they? You know, yeah. so oh, they can 100%. Just blast it out their windows and pretend they're outside. You know, so here's to it. Thank you so much for your time today, man. It's been really great to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks Thank for coming you. on the show. No worries. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Coffee or Beer on Hold Tight TV, brought to you on behalf of Hold Tight. If you are in a band or you know people in bands and they need PR, they need radio, they need digital marketing, then Hold Tight is your number one stop shop for that. So please subscribe to the channel, follow us on all the socials, and please get in touch if you need any of those services. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Coffee or Beer.